Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 4 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth Observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. In this episode, we discuss the fact that everyone wants a constellation these days. Okay, let's do the news on the 22nd of April 2020. Zooming through 2020. Yeah, and where better to start than a bit of shameless (laughs) 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 self-promotion. So we've been doing these uh, lunchtime calls. We've had two or three so far, and the first one was about the industry. And the second one we had was a discussion generally about awesome GitHub projects that, that we'd seen. And it was quite an interesting conversation. We went off in, in interesting directions and we shared a few links. And towards the end, as I've gone on, I found a fair few awesome GIS type accounts. But what I wasn't aware of was an awesome Earth Observation code repository. But I, I couldn't find one. So based on those discussions, I put together a few links and realized that Actually, a lot of my own bookmarks and a lot of stuff online is really kind of higgledy-piggledy and there's loads of stuff out there. And I was really blown away and I got more and more into this. But this is this is a sort of an ever-growing thing and something that you know, we're, we're collectively putting together under the Seen From Above banner. And basically, I'm sort of mentioning it because, A, go and check it out. It's under a Creative Commons open license, so go and use it. Please contribute to it. If you feel that there's something missing, you can find me an email, you can issue a pull request, anything like that, especially resources related to R and atmospheric satellites, geostationary satellites for sure. I'd love to get more um, coding projects in on, on, on that. There's so many awesome lists related to geo or geospatial and Earth observation to my mind still feels way behind the GIS world in terms of its audience and the reach of it. We are a component of the GIS world still, but I really hope that this is a useful resource and I'll continue to monitor it and, and hopefully improve it over time. It's getting a bit more mature now, even after a week. And we try and do it on the podcast. We try and look outside of the world of observation to see what data science is doing, what other industries are doing, like medical imaging, for example, to see if we can embrace those techniques and technologies into, into what we do. Cool. That's really, really interesting. So I've got an announcement from GEO slash the UN. This is an announcement about some of the sustainable development goal work that they're doing. And UN Habitat and GEO, which is the group on Earth Observations, we've mentioned them before on the podcast, are putting together an Earth Observation Toolkit for Sustainable Cities and Communities. And basically, they are looking to develop through a consultative process with different countries, representative countries and cities within those countries, a toolkit that will take on board different practical guidance and will look at remotely sensed and ground-based EO data and see how it can link with national statistics and socioeconomic data and other sorts of things. So that's quite an interesting idea and there's a, a call and some program details on the page that we'll link to. Check that out and have a look. Sounds like a really cool project, actually. The Geo Group, group on Earth Observations, is a is a really excellent group, and yes, they're yeah. always putting out calls for, for various things to build a community and, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, I should mention this petition first that's yeah. been put out on Twitter. So this is a, a change.org petition saying more than ever we need a strong 
EU space program. When I first saw this, I, I, I was a little bit confused because I seem to remember the Secretariat uh, or the, the event, I think it was in Spain, that announced uh, a huge increase in funding for Copernicus. I'm not really that informed about what's going on in the European Union at the moment, and but it does seem like something that we should throw a light on because of the value of the Copernicus program. And I think I think we should highlight it and say this is probably something that if you're a Earth observation person, you should consider signing. I'm going to talk about Sentinel Five P, of course, which is sort of <laughs> my uh, my favourite sort of. Uh, satellite other than maybe the Landsat 8s and Sentinel 2s of this world. But Sentinel 5P has been the sensor of this lockdown because of air quality. And I guess we're fortunate that it's up there and we've got a, a, a reasonable backlog of data to validate against what the current emissions levels are. Justin Bratton from Google Earth Engine has written a post with contributions from Morgan Crowley, who came on our podcast, Ladies of Landsat, about this new Earth Engine app that they've produced. And just as I start talking about it, it seems to have disappeared off and not working on online. So I'm going to have to do it from memory and <laughs> screenshots. But there's this good blog and it talks about the impact of the air quality. So it's a much more immersive type of experience. So you get to draw a polygon, you get to see the graph appear, you get to select dates to compare previous dates. I mean, I love Google Earth Engine, but Earth Engine apps is sort of something else, really. I was going to say Earth Engine apps and 5P. You must be in your element with this one. <laughs> no. I, I do think this is really neat. It looks really intuitive in terms of how to use it and really responsive. I'm looking at this Tropomi Explorer and it just looks really intuitive and it's responsive and fast and there's no messing about. It's just a series of sliders and a series of different map panes and off you go. And it gives you a chart. It gives you, so the information that's in the actual graph is probably as useful, if not more useful than the information that's in the map. Yeah, exactly. Open data should not be difficult to get to. Yeah, exactly. Per perennially, open data always has this problem of accessibility. It's making the data accessible to as many people as possible. Yeah. It, it is the it is the data that's being used a lot in the media saying, oh, look, look at the downturn in the economic activity and how that's impacting the environment. And there's some interesting stuff happening, isn't there? I saw on the, the Guardian today that as Milan opens, they're going to start converting it more into a more pedestrian, bike-friendly place. Okay. That there is an opportunity here to rethink how cars and transportation works. I've always talked about satellite data informing policy, and this is a great example of saying, look, we don't have to experiment anymore. We've got the data. I think I've got a blog of the month. Oh, yes? Yes. So I came across this. It's a really, really interesting read. So it's from somebody who works at Pictera, which is a Swiss company. And ostensibly, it's about trying to map solar energy production potential. And the way they're going about it is using WMS image feeds as an input. It's just a blog post that's talking about the technical machinations that have to happen in order to take the tiny image slices that you get from a WMS and then process all of those up and the fact that you need lots of RAM and there are different ways that you can get around that by using the cloud. Anyway, they go through all the various different details. It's really interesting, really detailed. They talk about Kubernetes and all sorts of other things as well for managing memory requests and, and stuff like that. It was a really good read. I think if you've got five, 10 minutes, then it's definitely worth sitting down and having a read through it and then probably 
going back and reading through it a second time. I imagine you've got a Google alert on your computer that says satellite data and solar panels. If any of those things line up, <laughs> send me that. Send me that information right now. I want to subscribe to your list. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it for the news. Our discussion point today is all about companies that want to put up new constellations into orbit in order to generate Earth observation data. And there's quite a few of these. ISI is one that most people will have heard of, especially if you listen to this podcast. Planet is another who've been probably the longest running now in the sort of small sat constellation sphere. But there's a few new ones. Pleiades Neo is a new one. Worldview Legion is coming up. Satellogic have a, a series of satellites that they are launching at the moment as well. Yeah, I'm fascinated by this topic. And I'm fascinated because uh, hands up I don't really know too much about constellations and I'm the end user of the data so I think really what I would start is to say when planet came along and, and realized that effectively strapping a mobile phone with a very good telescope to it and yeah. launching it in a shoebox was economically viable and also you could do it at a scale where you potentially were taking an image of the planet every day in every location since that point the temporal nature of the data seemed to take this huge leap forward but the direction of travel was to be looking at images every day and even now you're looking at companies talking about getting up the idea of tipping and queuing so you take you something happens and you fly over and, and then you're queuing up the next image from the next satellite that's coming over to, to look yeah. at that place again. I find it fascinating because it gets back to a fundamental in our industry, which is who's buying all this data. The most obvious user for that sort of high temporal data is defence. When Planet shook up the industry, which, which undoubtedly they, they did, I, I wonder if today, this year and next year, all things being as planned that we get the incumbents, as they have been known, the Maxars and the Airbuses of this world, bringing to market their competition to highly temporal data. And as you said at the start, the Worldview Legion and the Pleiades Neo, they should be all up in the space of a couple of years. So that the Pleiades Neo is going to have four identical satellites on a synchronous orbit. I think they're going to do a 30 centimetre resolution and basically going to get a daily anywhere revisit capacity and then potentially, or it says revisit the capacity twice daily anywhere at the at 46 off Nadir. So with four satellites trying to get a piece of the market of the temple data, but at a much higher resolution, so 10 times better resolution than the doves and as for the, the worldview legion i think that's going to be even more satellites launched the first block of the constellation in, will launch in 2021 and that's going to be six satellites oh yeah 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 they're going to be able to revisit over high interest middle latitude areas up to 15 times per day which is quite interesting but yeah they're also going to be collecting 30 centimeter imagery and again the types of things that they're currently saying that they could work on would be national security and military operations and disaster response so i guess it's governments that are paying for these high resolution data we are about to be totally flooded yeah at all spectral spatial and temporal resolutions it seems the spectral bands on NEO will be deep blue, blue, green, red, red edge, near infrared and panchromatic. So clearly they're looking at the health of vegetation. They may be looking at water 
depth. Yeah, I think one of the things that's most interesting for me out of what you've just introduced for both Neo and Legion is how small they are for constellations. When you first put forward the idea of talking about constellations, I thought that maybe Neo and Legion would be similar in size, i.e. the number of actual satellites that are up there as planet and obviously with starlink there's all sorts of talk about the many thousands of satellites that are going to go up in order to make that work i was quite interested by the fact that neo has four and the initial part of legion is going to have six and it's it almost got me thinking so what makes a constellation but i guess tandem x was only two so i guess these are going to be scalable as well so at the moment they're quite small constellations but with quite powerful satellites i guess once it's up and running then it's not going to be that much work to add more satellites into the orbit to follow along behind i need to find out how many satellites satellogic have as well funny you said that i'm actually looking at that as you speak so they've got um eight up there at the moment these new sats and there's also isi i don't know how many they've got up this is the idea at the moment to launch yeah. many satellites. We've gone past the scoping exercise of launching small sats. That's all been proved to be successful. And now it's coming into scale. And the companies with the financial backing, and that's hence why I'm mentioning OneWeb, you know, some, not all of these players are going to survive. There's just not the market there at the moment, it seems to me, for all this data. Do you think that this is quite a bold move by companies like Maxar to put up something like Legion? Because they lost uh, Worldview 4. So I'm guessing that was a large capital investment loss on their behalf. Now, if they are creating smaller satellites, but more of them, are they putting a similar amount of capital at risk? Or is this a lower risk operation for them, but with a higher return? I, I'd be quite interested to understand, is this a sort of uh, put all your chips on black and see what happens? Or is it a case of spread all your chips around the table and that'll minimize the risk? The share price for Maxar really suffered on the loss of control of Worldview 4. Sort of trying to loop back and answer your question, which is basically to say the decision to make these satellites would have been taken quite a long time ago, I think. Yeah. And I, I think they probably wisely saw where companies like Planet were going. This is a bit of a change. Whether it's a game changer, I don't know, but we've got even more data to handle now. So the interesting thing that I pull out of this is the difference in the companies that we've mentioned. So you've got Planet. That was a startup with a ridiculously ambitious idea. And just like SpaceX, it's worked. It's absolutely brilliant. ISI, startup, again, really ambitious idea. Seems to be working pretty well so far. Satellogic, startup. They're really going for it. They've got some great technology and they've got some really good marketing and sort of online presence. Then you've got backing of massive companies. I'm not so sure that they're really breaking the mold, but by dint of the fact that they have this huge backing of uh, you know companies that go across all sorts of different sectors, is there the potential that they hoover up a massive amount of the, the market that's here? So the others... Are sort of they're coming in they're doing something different they they are what this podcast is almost all about it's about new cool stuff that's happening in earth observation they are creating that buzz 
Now we've got Neo and Legion, or will have. Is that the same buzz? Are we excited by that? They're smaller constellations. They're, as far as we can tell from what we've just looked at, they're looking at the normal bands. They're looking at 30 centimeters. So that's not being pushed at all. Should we be getting excited by this? So to sort of temper that without answering your question at all. <laughs> okay. If you were to look at follow mapping the Image Hunters website, oh, yeah. reseller of imagery, um, I'm not going to read out all the satellites, but there are a lot. There's always been this idea where the more sensors, the more competition, the price should fall. That's been the business model for a lot of companies for the last four or five years in Earth observation. It's such an interesting discussion to have and hopefully reflect on in three or four years' time to say, ah, okay, I get it. It's nice to sort of put this marker in the sand. The SAR-based company I was thinking of is Capella Space. So they've got six satellites that they're going to put up with a quite high frequency revisit time as well. I think they're mm. looking, ultimately, they're looking at 36 satellites, something like that. So you've got these companies that are trying to do SAR and you've got others that are doing optical. And I, I get that there's different use cases for the data for each of those. But if the SAR companies can nail their use cases, I think they're going to be in a really good position because they can live up to their revisit times, whereas the optical ones, you are at the mercy of the cloud. Although, I guess, still, most people would rather look at an optical image than a SAR image because they just understand what it is they're looking at more easily. If we get lots of these companies, large and small, putting up different constellations of varying sizes, it's going to get crowded up there. And it's going to get crowded down on the ground where we're trying to handle all the data. I wonder whether there will then become a much larger market for these data warehouses that are happening at the moment. They would basically buy in the data from all of these data capture companies and then would just squirt out a feed to whoever wanted them. So I don't know, you could be working away in something like QGIS and you'd have a specific plugin and then you could just turn on the various different satellite feeds that you want and You'd have to put in your credit card details and it would charge you based on whatever your use was. I think that would be the sort of thing that would be easiest to do. Otherwise, it's going to be hard enough for people like us in the industry to keep a a handle on what the data shows, how our users of Earth observation data are supposed to know where they're going for for their data. I, I don't know. As someone who's been in the industry for a while, I'm nervous about the number of satellites that are getting launched, just in terms of filling up the number of orbits that are up there and adding to the whole space debris, space junk problem that we've talked about many times. But I'm really excited about the fact that there are companies trying this and potentially offering new data. Where is the value in the data? Are they going to just sell it? Are they going to try and use different resellers? Are they going to try and hold that data and process it, add value to it and sell a service? How and where is the market going to come to be sustainable? I don't know if we're ready to consume all that data. You know, if if they're opening up the data so that anybody can buy it, then it has to be easy to buy. And the pricing has to be transparent. I think now that we're so used to using open data, if you're going to buy commercially provided data, then it has to be easy to obtain once you've given your credit card details over and you have to know what you're going to get in advance. I I think this is still the biggest issue I have. The good news, I think, is that the industry on our side is now waking up to it, which is saying, we have to pivot now, we have to change. And whether whether it's cloud-based geotips are one component of it, stack is one component of it, 
streaming the data, getting used to different business models. I mean, this whole idea that you get your credit card out, slap in a few numbers and buy the data, it's so far from the, the actual truth. We are not there. We keep getting promised that it, a transformation is going to happen. And at the moment, I don't think that transformation is being driven by the user. It's being pushed down from the data provider. And if it's going to work, then there needs to be a, a meeting in the middle between the user and the data provider in order to get something that actually is useful to everybody and is commercially viable. Well, I think that discussion has basically shown that we have more questions than answers, but we have a lot of enthusiasm to see where this goes. We encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom, where you can find a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and well. And that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you can re-record that if you like. It's all in the edit. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.